Tonight we have um, Deacon Thomas A. Burke III. He was a native of Iowa, went to school in Missouri at the University of Missouri. Um, he got his law degree and started practicing as a lawyer from 1982. Um, he, in 2016, he became a deacon for the Archdiocese. He worked first at St. Cletus and then at his home parish at St. Uh, Joseph in Cottleville. Deacon Tom currently is the president of the Deacon and Personnel Board. Um, he serves as a deacon, but he also mentors deacon, the people that are in the diaconate. He hosts a monthly program at St. Joseph Radio, now called St. Joseph Evangelization Network. It's called The Stones Will Cry Out. And tonight, Deacon Tom's presentation is called Forgiveness, Removing All Barriers to Love. Good evening. As she said, my name is Deacon Tom Burke. And thank you so much for staying after the Stations of the Cross and they move me so much when I, when I hear them pray and prayer together. It really makes me happy. But if you don't mind, let's go ahead and continue, continue in our prayers in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, good and gracious God, we accept all the love you have for us. And we want to return that love with all our hearts. Help us open those hearts to you tonight. Accept all the gifts from the Holy Spirit especially wisdom, understanding, counsel, and fortitude. We ask for the courage to be your disciples and to follow in your footsteps. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So tonight I want to show you a, a pathway, a pathway that is in, embedded in Jesus' promise. Jesus promised, I make all things new. And I want to give you that same promise. But even more than that, I want you to see a pathway to freedom in your life, true freedom in your life. So, are you with me? That was a nice tentative yes. We don't know each other too, much, too well now, and I appreciate that, appreciate your honesty. But let me ask you a simple question, and you can answer this only in your hearts, okay? The simple question is this. Who are you to God? Think about it. Who are you to God? What is your identity with God? Now hopefully in your hearts you heard that I am a beloved child of God. Some of you may have hesitated and that's fine. Some of you drew a blank and some of you might have heard something else. But tonight, we really want to activate that in us. We want to make sure that that is who we are to God. And so let's begin. Back in Genesis 1.24, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. When Adam and Eve disobeyed and sinned, of course, then what came into the world was a whole host of evil. And we know that, don't we? What came into the world was sin and death and suffering, disease. There was a lot of pain that's entered in the world. We just have to look at the, the newspaper or turn on the TV and we see the pain of the world. But in it also came disillusionment, 
despair, disbelief, and what I'm going to talk about tonight, unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is a product of sin. Unforgiveness is a product of evil, evil from the devil. So that's one of the principal ways that Adam and Eve were attacked by Satan as soon as they sinned. Remember, they ran and hid in the garden. Now, we, we can look back with, with our open eyes and go, what were they thinking, hiding from God in the garden? But what entered into the garden at that same time, ushered in by the devil, was unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. So let's move just briefly forward in Genesis. And we have Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel, you remember that, right? Cain killed Abel. And then, as if to hide, just like Adam and Eve, when God came to Cain and said, where is your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? See, God came to Cain to give him a chance to say, please forgive me. When he said, where is your brother? He knew exactly what had happened, didn't he? He was God. And yet, unforgiveness begets even more unforgiveness. It only grows until it's destroyed. You may remember that as soon as Cain committed this crime against Abel, God put a mark on him so everybody would know who Cain was and be alert, alerted to him that he was a murderer. And Cain cried out to God. He said, if you keep this mark on me, then people will kill me. They'll know what I've done. And God said, no, I tell you what, I'll do. If anybody kills you, Cain, they'll be avenged seven times. And then let's step just briefly forward. Three generations forward from Cain is a fellow by the, by the name of Lemech. You may not even recall Lemech. He's only a little blurb in Genesis. But tonight is pretty insightful to know what was going on with Lemech. And this is what Lemech said to his family. He says, I have slain a man for wounding me, a younger man for striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, truly Lemech seventy-sevenfold. As you can see, in just three or four generations, unforgiveness has grown by 11 times to 77-fold. Unforgiveness is truly demonic. Truly demonic. And as I said, the 77, you, you might have jogged some of the things in your, in your memory. Remember, fast forward, Peter turns to Jesus and says, Lord, if my brother sins against me, how often must I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus answered, I say to you, not seven times, but 77 times. I don't think it's a coincidence that 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 number came up again because Jesus came to fulfill the love that God wanted for all of us. And I'm sure that when he said this, he blew these disciples' minds. They knew what Moses had heard from God and passed on to them, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So 77 was just an outrageous thing. But like I said, Jesus came so that we would know the love of God. And he tells us about this. By sin and unforgiveness, in the earliest days of Jesus' public ministry, he became the bridge. He became with his bridge, the, for the forgiveness bridge between us and God. Now, walk with me in your imagination. 
Walk with me in your imagination. Stand with me on the banks of the Jordan River. We see John the Baptist there in Jesus. Jesus didn't need to be baptized. He didn't have any sin. It was a very public place. John had been doing this for some time, and so there was a lot of people around on purpose. It was so public. It was essential that it be public. And so we know that when Jesus came out of the water, it says in Mark's Gospel that the heavens were rent open. And coming down out of heaven like a dove was the Holy Spirit who anointed Jesus at his baptism. And you all may recall what everyone heard. And it was supposed to be that we all heard it too. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. The same spirit that anointed Jesus, anointed each one of us, anointed each one of us at our baptism. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, as St. Paul says, lives in us because of our baptism. So forgiveness restores what may be taken from us by unforgiveness. We start by reclaiming who we are, who we are to God. So do this with me. It won't be painful. Just take a moment. Declare this with me. Speak this out loud, because it's important that we bring this into us through our ears. So say, I declare and I believe. I'm a beloved child of God. For our reclaimed identity, let's go ahead from this spot of knowing who we are with God. Let's go ahead and take a look at unforgiveness. Unforgiveness occurs when some injury has been taken place in us and we're not restored to wholeness. We're not able to, to get back to that feeling of completeness that we thought we had before. Something has been taken from us. There's a taking here. Was it our health? Was it our wealth? Was it, was it our security? Many times injury is to our dignity. It's been taken from us. Maybe there was something we expected that didn't occur. An expectation of, of an opportunity in our life that has now been taken away. Something we relied on. Satan uses this taking. He uses it to convince us that we're not beloved by God claiming God cares little about us, that, he, that he's a distant God. And that creates a little crack, crack in our belief in God's belief in us. Unforgiveness is an evil, and it affects us. It attacks our identity and our closeness to God. Until we recognize how infectious this is, and we saw it in the, when we were talking about just three or four generations with Lemek. Until we see how disease-ridden we can become with unforgiveness, and we see how its deadly effects permeate our entire lives, we don't really realize how much its intent is to disfigure us. It disfigures the, the, our divine identity, our belief in ourselves that we are sons and daughters of God. But take heart, take heart. Forgiveness is from God. It's a weapon against unforgiveness. It's a weapon against sin and death and unforgiveness. I'm suggesting we make a paradigm shift tonight in all our minds and how we look at 
forgiveness and unforgiveness. Let's shift our focus a little bit away from ourselves and the hurt that's taken place. For too long, for too long we've spoken as forgiveness was some type of medicine we had to take. Something that was very distasteful. Something that we just had to do if we were going to be a Christian. Some compulsion, some compunction that the church demands of us if we were going to be disciples. And if disciples and forced to forgive, interiorly before we forgive, we wonder, we just wonder, is that going to make us weaker if we forgive? Is forgiveness the castor oil of discipleship? I guess I'm showing my age a little bit when I say castor oil. But my hope, my hope is that we're starting to see forgiveness a little differently, aren't we? We're starting to see that unforgiveness is a, is a real thing that, that forgiveness can attack. Shouldn't we then, as disciples, fully load this forgiveness as a weapon to fight against evil? So, it is a lethal weapon against unforgiveness. And here's a really neat thing that we, that we don't grasp before we actually say, I forgive you to someone. Is that whenever we companion Jesus in this forgiveness, as he lives in us in this forgiveness, we get closer to him. Our intimacy is so much greater than before we say, I forgive you. So, Please declare another one with me, huh? I declare and I believe. I can freely choose God's weapon of forgiveness. I can freely choose God's My fellow warriors, Jesus told Peter when he made him the first pope, gave him the keys to the kingdom. He turned to Peter at that time and said, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. Did you see what he said? Hell needs gates. Hell needs gates to protect it against us, who we are as sons and daughters of God, champions and warriors with the tools that God wants to give us. And one of the main things is forgiveness. So how, how is that true? How can forgiveness be so powerful? How does that happen? And remember, this is it. St. Paul said to the Ephesians, where sin increased, grace abounds all the more. Where sin increased, grace abounds all the more. So grace fights sin. It fights sin. It destroys sin. And, and that grace we have is a fully loaded, the grace and forgiveness God is full of grace, and he wants to fill us with that same thing. So it's time for us to accept this, to fully lock and load grace-filled forgiveness. In the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 1996, it says this, grace enables us to freely respond to God's call to become children of God. It goes on to say, partakers of divine nature and eternal life. I need this. I need this because unforgiveness makes me think less of myself. When I can't forgive someone else, 
then I feel smaller. So I need as much faith-filled, glorious, grace-filled forgiveness as I can. Now I'm fully aware that about this point in time in my talk, when I've said forgiveness 20 times maybe, that the evil one is now turning to you and saying, it's time to look at your watch, to pick up your phone, to start to check out of this. The evil one wants to tell us that whatever injury we've had, whatever's happened to us, doesn't apply to what I'm talking about. That that wound is too personal. The wound is too deep. It's too particular to us. So let me be clear. I'm not, I'm not talking about reconciliation, at least at this point. I'm not talking about reconciliation with the person who perpetrated that on you, the person who did that taking from you. I'm talking about reconciliation with God. That's what first must happen. We must reconcile with our Heavenly Father. We shouldn't ever hide what the injury is. We should bring it into the light. The evil one lurks in the darkness and he doesn't want us to bring it forward. The devil shelters in the darkness. No one should stay where there's a perpetrator perpetrating injury. And if there is one, they should be called out. But like I said, this reconciliation that I'm advocating tonight before any other reconciliation is the primary reconciliation with God. So let's not deny it. Let's not deny the deprivation of our self-worth that's occurred. Let's, let's not deny that there's been an imbalance that's created. A fairness is all out of whack. Something expected has been taken from us. We need to regain that semblance of wholeness. We need to regain that past belief and that we were beloved and whole. If we don't get this restoration, we know what happens, don't we? If we don't recover who we are with God and that wholeness that we deserve to have, then what happens? We get resentment and revenge and grudge, and none of those are from God. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. You've been hurt. An injury has occurred. But what the evil one wants to do is take that feeling of vulnerability that we have, that off-balance feeling that we're not totally whole, that feeling of insecurity and that feeling of deprivation, and he wants us to take that feeling and ascribe it to the person who hurt us. In other words, I feel so terrible and so vulnerable, and it's all somebody else's fault. And when I attach it to them, I give them power over me. Whoever's afflicted me then has the power to rectify my, 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 my missing parts. And that person probably doesn't care about me. They hurt me in the first place. That person is probably unaware of their need to even come and ask for my forgiveness. Somehow, my becoming whole now is dependent on them. So every reminder we have that we've not become whole is a reminder to ourselves of how helpless, how helpless and insecure we are. Frustrated, we can't make it right. And then if we can't make it right, 
It's a very short step to blaming God for not making it right. And that's what the evil one wants. He wants to take that. And if we, if we take that path with the evil one, to take those hurt feelings and place it on someone else, then we might do a couple of real serious injuries to ourselves. And the first one is we shame ourselves. We shame ourselves or we make vows. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. Have you ever thought this or have you ever said this? I can't believe I let them do this to me. I can't believe I let them do this to me. That's shaming ourselves by whatever the injury is. And that's exactly what the evil one wants. Have any of us ever said this one? Or said or felt this one? Or thought it? I'll never let this happen to me again. That's a vow. Now it's important that if something's going on and we recognize a harm, it's important that we step away and get away from that harm. That's called preservation. But a vow, a vow like this one, I'll never let it happen to me again, separates us from trusting in God. Causes us to what? Trust in ourselves. Have we ever thought, how could God have let this happen? And all the terrible things that have happened to us or the things that we've seen in this world, how many times have we heard that even spoken out loud? How could God let this happen? Every the evil weapon of unforgiveness causes us to be separated from, from God, separated from other people, and separated from us. So search your hearts. If you've been hurt, search your hearts. Maybe a big hurt or a drip, drip, drip of a small hurt. Have we grown to believe that others are more special than we are? Do we doubt that God loves us? Oh, don't get me wrong. We're not going to say that we don't believe in God. We don't actually articulate that we don't believe in God. But somehow when we've been injured in such dramatic ways, do we start to believe somehow that God doesn't quite believe in us? Has there been a crack in our, in our belief because the evil one's trying to convince us that we're not worth that grace? So one more thing that I need to talk to you about. One more declaration that we have to get to. And that's this. God created everything. He does not cause everything. God created everything. He is our creator. He did not cause everything. You say, what do you mean? Isn't he control of everything? Doesn't he cause everything? Well, let me ask you just a couple simple questions. Did God create the universe? Sure. Did he create the earth? Sure. Did he create Adam and Eve? Certainly. Did he cause them to sin? Absolutely not. It is our free choice that brought that in. So, declare with me. I declare and I believe. God created everything. He doesn't cause everything. I hope right about now, as I've gone on and on about unforgiveness, that you're sick and tired of it. You're sick and tired of that unforgiveness. You're sick and tired of that fake power that we're seduced into by the evil one to withhold forgiveness so we can have a slight foothold of power over the person who's hurt us. 
That's a false power. One way to see if you have succumbed to this, and I hate to bring it to your attention, but I must. One way to see if you've succumbed to this evil allure of some power in your life outside of God is this. Is this. How controlling are you? How much do you seek security outside of God? You see, forgiveness draws us into ourselves. Now, of course, this is probably more soul-searching than you asked for tonight. But I'm not going to apologize for it, because I promised you freedom. I promised you freedom, and it's only a few moments away. As disciples, we should choose this pathway to freedom. So, now, let me ask you, aren't you a little mad? Aren't you a little ticked off? Aren't you a little disgusted with the evil one who's manipulated us so much, manipulates us so much with unforgiveness and all the things we've talked about that comes with it? Manipulate us out of our belief that we're beloved, that we have divinity in us, and tries to take that identity, our noble identity as sons and daughters of God, away from us. So there is a payback. And here's how we pay back the devil for what he's done. We shift this paradigm. We weaponize forgiveness. Jesus declared in some of his first things he said in his ministry, remember he said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what did he tell his disciples to do? He says, go out. Eat what's set before you. Lay hands on the sick and cure them. And proclaim the kingdom of heaven is near you. So if the kingdom of heaven is at hand, if it is really here, then let me ask you, in heaven is there unforgiveness? Of course not. We can bring that heaven with us right now. There's no power of Satan in heaven except the power we give him. St. Paul affirms this truth when he says, even when we were dead in our transgressions, God brought us to life with Christ, raised us up with him, and seated us with him in heaven in Christ Jesus. Seated us in heaven with him. We have that authority and power as sons and daughters of God. He said it. We're seated with Jesus. Jesus brought heaven to earth and we're to live in it right now as much as we can because of Christ Jesus. And when we do, we cooperate with him. When we do, we verify his baptism. When we do, we acknowledge our own and we accept his passion, his death, and his resurrection and ascension, not just as something outside of us, but something with us. We act in our authority, empowered by the grace to use forgiveness as a weapon. So we're not created to be victims. We're not created to be victims. Only unforgiveness makes us victims. So repeat after me. There's like four declarations here. We'll do it in rapid fire. The first one, I declare and I believe I'm a beloved child of God. I declare and I believe I was made to bring heaven to earth. And I believe I was made to bring heaven to earth. 
I declare and I believe that I already, I'm already seated with Jesus in heaven. I declare and I believe I'm already seated with Jesus in heaven. I declare and I believe I can act in my authority to forgive. I declare and I believe I can act in my authority to forgive. I declare and I believe that when I act in my authority to forgive, I companion Jesus. I declare and I believe when I act in my authority to forgive, I companion Jesus. And the last one, I declare and I believe I was not made to be a victim. I declare and I believe I was not made to be a victim. As disciples of Christ, we are, we are called to do as he did. And he gave himself over and was crucified for us. I only recently appreciated how much of a gift that was, how much of a complete pouring out of his life for God and for us out of love that was when I examined some of the things he said from the cross. He did all this out of love, out of a gift for perfect forgiveness. Acting in his authority as the Son of God, this is what he said from the cross. You recall it, I'm sure. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. What a, what a gift that was when you think about it. Jesus could forgive sins. Throughout the course of his discipleship, he showed his disciples that he could. He forgave people's sins right and left. So from the cross, he didn't even retain that. As a gift to perfect forgiveness, he gave that gift to the Father. And when he gave even that gift to the Father, he received great power. Great power. He was with the Father, and they realized that together. Now, I've experienced the same thing. I've experienced the same thing, having gift as such a powerful thing in my life to allow me to forgive. And I'd like to tell you that story. But first, I'm going to ask you to do something fun with me. And that is, I'm going to ask you to do a little activation with me. And it won't be painful, I promise. So, get in your prayer posture, whatever that is. Whatever you're the most comfortable in, because you're going to be with me for about three minutes in this posture. Now, if you would, please close your eyes and allow yourself to enter into your own imagination. Close your eyes and allow yourself to see yourself. If you want to see yourself 10 years younger and 10 pounds lighter, go ahead. That's fine. Just see yourself. Visualize who you are in your mind's eye. Now, please, in this same space, with your eyes closed, Invite Jesus to enter into this space with you. He wants to be there. He wants to come near you. So come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Now, with Jesus, allow Jesus to show you yourself through his eyes, through the eyes of Christ. His eyes are tender. His eyes are only of love. Jesus sees you as a child of God, as you truly are. You are cherished in his eyes, valued, confident in your heavenly heritage. Now with Jesus looking on, I want you to picture in your mind that you're wearing a heavy raincoat. 
whatever color you want to make it. This heavy raincoat is long, and it's heavy, and it's unforgiveness. There's a name on this raincoat. Ask Jesus, what name is this on this raincoat? What name do I have on this raincoat of the person I can't forgive? Let him tell you. It could be somebody you thought you already forgave. It could be God. It could be yourself. Now, with Jesus looking on, in the strength of his love, we're going to unbutton this heavy raincoat of unforgiveness, one button at a time. This coat has prevented God's grace of forgiveness from nourishing and empowering you. So let's do it from the top. Take the top button that chokes you so much. That's the button of control and fear. Unbutton it. Unbutton it. And feel that we can breathe a little more now. The next button down is regret. Unbutton that button too. Let a regret be unbuttoned. The next button is hurt. This is tough to unbutton. You might have to use two hands. Unbutton the button of hurt. The next button is anger. Let that button, let that button pop open as you open it with your hands. The next button is resentment. Unbutton the button of resentment and feel the poison leave. Feel the poison seep out of you. And the final button is the button of grudge. Unbutton the button of grudge. Feel the warm rain of God's grace starting to heal you. Now with me, as you've unbuttoned the coat, the raincoat of unforgiveness, now with me, shake your shoulders in the presence of Jesus. Shake your shoulders. Let that, let that coat of unforgiveness fall off and fall to the floor. Let it go. Let it fall. See yourself now as Jesus sees you, free, strong, loved, and lovable. As you stand in the Lord's presence, see the beautiful robe of righteousness. This robe of righteousness that was underneath this heavy coat. You're wearing this robe of righteousness. Jesus makes all things new and frees us to be our authentic selves. With Jesus, we are free to forgive. No one can stop us. No power greater than the love of Christ. So take it in. Take it in. From this vantage point, reflect with me now on the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer, the perfect prayer. This prayer was given to us from Jesus. It was meant as a response to God. We're not invoking God. We're responding to his great love, our response to his action. We're not responding as slaves or servants or orphans, but it's a prayer to our Father in our identity. Open your eyes if you want.
or not. Every word we speak is an open response to Jesus' grace and God the Father's grace filling us up. We pray with his power, his love in us as we accept all he offers us, especially the grace to forgive. That is all taken place before we ever say, Our Father. It's there available and it's in us. We act in our forgiveness, in our identity. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us is not a challenge. It's not a challenge to our holiness. It's not a challenge to our faithfulness, but an affirmation of who we are and whose we are. We need, we need to accept this grace that God gives us in forgiveness from our place in heaven with Christ. It is his divine light in us that enables us to forgive. So let me say this to you, and I want you to be convicted with it. Never let the Our Father accuse you again. Never let that prayer accuse you that you were not as forgiving as you should have been, that you weren't as great a disciple as Jesus intended you to be. You are a disciple of Christ. You are a child of God. You have the grace of God in you to forgive, not by your own power, but by the power of God. That's what reconciles us with God. We don't forgive people on our own. Somehow we don't say everything in the Our Father about doing his will and recognizing who he is and asking for our daily bread. Somehow we don't stop at this point and say, we'll go it on our own now, God. I could remember what Jesus said. He said, all things are possible with God. In another place, he asserts, without me, you can do nothing. And St. Paul clarifies this. I can do all things in him who strengthens me. I can do all things in him who strengthens me. It doesn't say I can do all things as long as I'm as strong as I can be. That's not it. It's all grace. Our declarations and activations have prepared us has prepared us to fight evil and unforgiveness with this grace. We can do this. We can do this. And Jesus will show us how with gift. He will give us this strength if we ask. So here's how, what he did for me. I have a little story to tell you. And it's about gift and forgiveness in Jesus. A few years ago, I represented a lady in a divorce. And she didn't have enough money to hire me. She didn't have enough money to pay for that divorce. But I wanted to help her, and she needed it. So I said, pay me as you go. Pay me what you can. When the case was over, there was a great deal of money owed me for attorney's fees. And I turned to her and said, pay me as you go. Pay me what you can. I don't care how long it takes. Instead of paying my fee, she filed a, farce, a false bar complaint against me. I was shocked, I was hurt, I felt betrayed. I was very angry on multiple levels. 
See, bar complaints can jeopardize your license to practice law. Bar complaints affect your professional liability insurance. It's kind of the injury that keeps on injuring. They affect your reputation in the legal community, possibly, and also your reputation overall in the community. And in nearly 40 years, no one had filed any such thing like this against me. My pride was hurt. Part of me wanted to tell everyone the outrage that had taken place, the injury that I had received, and part of me wanted to hide it because it showed how vulnerable I was. There was a taking, and I felt took on so many levels. What a fool I had been to help her. I made a vow that I would never let that happen to me again by another client. I made a vow that I would sue her and collect what was rightfully mine. I would make it right somehow. I felt stupid, foolish, and guilty for being kind. It didn't help much when I told my law partners about it and they sympathized with me. It just didn't seem to soothe the pain. Nor did it make me feel any more whole when I filed the response that's required when any complaint is filed against a lawyer. The final injury was this. The final deep down injury was this. When I said the Our Father, it convicted me. I just could not forgive her. My head told me I should. I was a deacon already at this time, I think, and my head said, you should forgive her. And my heart said, I'm not going there. There was such a distance between what I knew I should do and what I could. My emotions wouldn't let me do that. That was a bridge too far to cross. I clearly didn't see myself as a powerful disciple. Rather, my idea of discipleship in me was severely bruised. Night after night, I tossed in my bed. Night after night, I thought, somehow this will pass. I even toyed with the idea that only Christ can forgive people, and I'm not him, so maybe I shouldn't even try. That was just letting forgiveness and the unforgiveness attack me even further. I felt stuck and I felt powerless. Now, I don't know any of you have ever felt that way, but it's not a fun thing. So after tossing and turning at night, I realizing that I couldn't do it, hoping that Jesus could, I did a simple prayer. I just said this, Jesus, what do I have to do to forgive? How can I forgive? And immediately he said, forgive the debt. What? What? I actually asked him to repeat that. That's outrageous. And so he repeated it. Forgive the entire debt. Forgive this lady's debt, this fee, that's like adding insult to injury. That's piling on to the injury that had already occurred. This is exactly what she wanted. 
when she filed this complaint against me. Why would I ever do such a thing? As you can see, as you've already figured out in my story, I made it about me and her and not me and Jesus. That's it, isn't it? Isn't that what it is in a nutshell and what unforgiveness is, causes us to do? It draws us away from Christ. It draws us away from God. Unforgiveness separates our hearts from God and from just about everybody else. It isolates us. It makes us even more vulnerable to the evil one. I can tell you truthfully, in all my years as a lawyer and also my years as a deacon, I've never known anyone with unforgiveness that was close to God. I've never known anyone with unforgiveness that was close to God. So I went to the office the next morning, composed a very simple letter. It said this, I forgive you your entire fee. You owe me nothing. My legal assistant immediately came in with one of the partners in tow. She says, you can't send this letter. The timing's all off. The, the Bar Association hasn't ruled on this lady's complaint yet. When you send this letter, you're looking like you did all wrong. You were at fault. Fully aware of all this, I posted the letter that day. I sent it in the mail. It was a miracle. What happened next was a miracle. Immediately upon just putting it in the postal, in the postal slot, immediately getting it out of my hands, I was set free. It was like, a, like this huge oppression over me was taken off. It was like she'd never injured me. That same freedom that Jesus experienced on the cross when he gave his ability to forgive sins to the Father, that was the switch that God flipped in me. By offering this gift like Jesus from the cross, I was set free. But the Lord taught me that it was no longer about me and her. It was always about me and Jesus. I received the grace to forgive, returning to my, the source of my identity, our Father. By gift with Jesus, I got strengthened. I got the strength to forgive. And I felt this extra closeness to Christ that I didn't feel before the injury, before the complaint had ever happened. Because I had partnered with him. I companioned with the Lord and pushing forgiveness into the world by gift. It was absolutely like Jesus had flipped a switch. Because of my identity was restored with the Lord, I didn't have to reconcile with this lady. But all the emotional prison that I had put myself in was gone. The emotional prison that I was in waiting for her to somehow ask for forgiveness that was never going to happen. It wasn't about her and me after all. I learned forgiveness is never about us and our perpetrators. It's always about us and the Father. Within two days of posting that, actually crossing in the mail, came the letter from the Bar Association indicating I'd done no wrong. 
Out of the clear blue, two weeks later, about two weeks later, I got a phone call from this lady, my perpetrator. She called me out of the clear blue. I picked up the phone and she asked me for some free legal advice. To my, to my astonishment, all the resentment was gone. I gave her what she asked for because there was nothing between us anymore. That's the freedom of Jesus Christ. There was nothing between us anymore. Because there wasn't, I was free. By my gift, I had taken off the raincoat of unforgiveness and received forgiveness from Jesus. I had reclaimed my identity. So, I have a gift for you tonight. I know this is being recorded and it might be a little awkward, but I have a gift for each one of you tonight. Would you help me, Deacon? Would you help me pass these out? Now, I know your folks probably said, beware of lawyers bearing gifts. But I hope you'll pray this with me. Whoever's name was on that, name, that raincoat, whoever the Lord is showing you that you should forgive, I want you to think of them now. And pray this with me. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. In the spiritual eyes go with that person to Jesus look at them in the eyes and say I forgive you please forgive me for I did not love you as I should as Jesus loves you I want to love you as Jesus loves you I thank God for you that you exist that's a very powerful prayer it goes as you can see there's an addendum from the, the diary of St. Faustina, when you say this prayer, said the Lord, with a contrite heart and with faith on behalf of some sinner, I will give him the grace of conversion. That's a gift, my friends. This is a prayer. Say it with me. O blood and water, which goes forth from the heart of Jesus as a font of mercy for us, I trust in you. The more we pray this prayer, the freer we become. Because forgiveness is a grace. The more we forgive, the greater the grace. Grace is diffusive of itself. That means that when we push it out into the world as disciples, it gets greater. Not only in us, but in other people. So I kind of backed into this talk, didn't I? I said, I said this talk is about removing all the barriers for love. Let forgiveness move, remove all the barriers for love. God is love. We know that from 1 John 4. What we're talking about is removing all the barriers from God. Removing all the barriers of love. Thank you very much for being with me.